I'm not even supposed to be here today. The Dory Monson Show on Cairo Radio. This is The Big Lead. Welcome, welcome to The Big Show this hour and The Big Lead this hour with me, Brandy Cruz, filling in for my friend Dory Monson as he takes some time off during the holidays. And boy, he picked a good day to do it. Snow coming down everywhere. Good time to be cozied up, although I know a lot of you are still out on the roadways, still working today. Uh, just be safe out there. We've been updating folks throughout the show and the newscast about the condition of the roadways and um, where the weather is going to turn uh, in the next few hours. So just uh, stay tuned to that. And let's get right to the big lead this hour. The big lead. Top trending. I've been completely enthralled with the Elon Musk saga with Twitter. I like a lot of people, I, I think, especially those on the, on the right, um, really felt as if Twitter had just become this platform where if you were a conservative, you got away with very little. If you are a liberal, you get away with a lot. And it became very clear that their rules just were not being applied evenly or uh, equally and that, you know, Twitter was becoming a place where even stories of legitimacy were suppressed if they were about Democrats. And we saw that with the Hunter Biden laptop story. And so Elon Musk, as part of his ownership of Twitter, he said basically he wants to restore public trust in the platform. And even if you don't have Twitter and you're like, Brandy, I don't want to hear another Twitter story. Twitter has such a profound influence on politics in America and around the world. What happens with Twitter is important. And the information that Twitter suppresses or doesn't suppress is important. So Elon Musk had said as part of owning Twitter, he was going to try to rehab uh, trust in Twitter by opening the books, basically, by saying, hey, here's all our internal Slack channels and emails, you know, providing that access to independent journalists that he's selected Uh, and trying to um, explain to the public the decisions that were being made behind the scenes at Twitter that resulted in some of these really controversial uh, incidents, like the Hunter Biden laptop story. So in 2020, in the lead up to the election, the New York Post has this blockbuster story about Hunter Biden's laptop, the contents of it, and the story was completely censored by Twitter. I mean, so much so that even if you shared a link to that story in a private message on Twitter, Twitter would treat it the same way it treats child pornography. It would identify it as being an issue, and you couldn't even send it privately. Accounts were suspended for sharing it, like the White House press secretary, Kayleigh McEnany at the time. So anyway, um, Elon Musk, through these independent journalist has been doing something called the Twitter files, where the story is told of what was going on behind the scenes at Twitter. And I gotta say, this part seven that just came out is pretty staggering because it shows that the FBI and the intelligence community were making such frequent requests of employees at Twitter to review tweets, to be on the lookout for information, et cetera, that the FBI actually ended up paying Twitter millions of dollars for the costs associated with processing those requests. (laughs) $3.4 million in taxpayer funds given to Twitter. And we know that the FBI played a huge role in getting stories like the Hunter Biden laptop story completely squashed. Anyway, FBI is making so many requests of Twitter. They eventually start paying Twitter for the costs associated with responding to those requests. And it doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure out why that's problematic why you have this massive platform that's a private company 
And you're taking money from the federal government, from the FBI, from the intelligence community. So money is changing hands. And then, you know, the next time the FBI comes comes and says, hey, you know, we want these accounts suspended X, Y, Z. Twitter's like, well, you know, they are paying us millions, millions of dollars. When you use a, a platform like Twitter, you know, you, you want to believe that they're acting in good faith, that they are protecting your information, that they are going to apply their rules evenly to you. And that if you do something wrong and your account gets suspended, it was a decision made by Twitter, not a decision made by the FBI, as an example. So I think it's really important what Elon Musk is doing in trying to restore trust by breaking down trust, apparently, by saying, hey, all that stuff you suspected, well, here's what was actually happening behind the scenes. And so I've been a little critical of Elon last week. You know, he... He seems to be making decisions just very fly by the seat of his pants. You know, he made a decision to suspend some prominent journalists who had done reporting on an account that was sharing the live location of Elon Musk's jet. I thought that was a big mistake. Apparently so did Elon Musk because he reinstated those accounts. And then he puts out this poll. We talked about this yesterday. He puts out this poll saying, should I step down as the head of Twitter? And he said he would abide by the results of the poll. And the poll was, yes, he should step down as the head of Twitter. So now he's on the search uh, for a new CEO. And I just think it's, you know, it's it seems like he's just very, I want to say childish in his decision making, because I do like Elon Musk. But, you know, this is a huge company. As I said earlier, it, it is a very important platform that influences politics, foreign policy in a very serious way. And so you can't make these decisions just based on popular opinion of whoever takes your Twitter poll. Uh, and I trust Elon's judgment. I trust his judgment to make the the decisions that he thinks is best for the platform, decisions that are in the interest of free speech. And so, you know, given his successful track record in business, I kind of wish he would just trust his gut and not be so concerned with whoever might be mad at him that particular day and making decisions based on Twitter polls as opposed to his business acumen. Coming up next on The Big Lead this hour. The Big Lead, Big Local. Man, I had no idea what some government officials in Washington state made uh, salary-wise. You know, I've always thought, for instance, the governor was a little underpaid. I think he makes like $190,000 a year. And I kind of base that off of, you know, the the old police chief in Seattle made like a quarter million and the mayor of Seattle makes like 200,000. So I always thought it was a little weird. The governor made less than them, although I'm not saying $185,000 isn't a lot of money, although he might make a little bit more than that by now. But then I saw, holy moly, how much the Tacoma city manager makes. And um, there are some officials in Pierce County who are getting raises. And so we went to look at the story and then I'm like, why do they need raises? <laughs> they already make so much money. So Tacoma City Manager Elizabeth Pauley, she's going to get a raise. Um, she's in, and it's going to be her second raise in less than a year. And this is a raise that has to be approved and is approved by the city council. So her annual, um, so she, back in May, she got a pay raise, making her annual pay $287,872. dollars a year for the Tacoma City Manager. But apparently that raise that she got just back in May during a performance review was not enough. So in 2023, under this latest raise, her yearly salary is going to be $309,566 a year. That's a 7.5% salary increase. 
$309,000 a year for the Tacoma city manager. Now I'm not saying that's not an important job. And I like the city manager um, format when you've got like a mayor and then a city manager, because I think it can help um, a city be run a little bit more professionally and not so beholden to politics. And I realize that when you're trying to bring in, you know, basically a business person to run a city, which I do think is a good idea that you have to pay them a little bit more because they're used to making private sector money, not public sector money, but for the love of $309,000 a year. Now, that's just that, that's just the start here. I want to talk about some other salaries. The Tacoma Public Utilities Director. We also know that public utilities directors get paid a lot of money. Uh, in Seattle, I, in fact, I think that's the highest paid um, uh, city employee. But Tacoma Public Utilities Director Jackie Flowers is also going to get a raise under this updated compensation plan, according to the Tacoma News Tribune. Uh, Jackie Flowers is going to make $409,000 a year. $409,000 a year in 2023. Right now, Flowers makes $388,000 a year. It's a 5.6% salary bump. That is absolutely insane. Now, I... You know, part of this is who can we attract and how much do we have to pay them to be able to attract them here? But like, you know, we have a lot of jobs uh, where there are openings, where people aren't going to work, you know, with, I mean, police departments, et cetera, where we could use a lot of money to be able to attract people into those jobs. And so the fact that you have someone who already got a raise last year, who's already making in both these instances a significant amount of money, and now the city of Tacoma is going to have a Tacoma manager making $309,000 a year and a public utilities director making $409,000 a year. Just raises after raises after raises for performance evaluations. Apparently, we all got in the wrong business. Apparently, we need to uh, help uh, be part of leadership in a mid-sized American city. And then we'd be really raking in the dough. All right, coming up next on The Big Lead... The Big Lead, Bizarro World. One of the stories that we haven't talked about yesterday or today is this news that the January 6th committee has forwarded, uh, it it thinks Donald Trump should be charged. And I think one of the reasons is I made it clear I don't like Donald Trump very much. And this really isn't a surprise to me anyway. I mean, we knew that this is where the January 6th committee was heading. I mean, they gave us every indication. And so... I'm not saying it's a non-story. I'm just saying it's a not a surprise. Uh, and so certainly, you know, I know Dory will be tracking what happens with all of that. But I'm just, I've never been a fan of Donald Trump. And so I try not to dwell on him on the show uh, every time I fill in for Dory. But so Crane John Behear, the White House press secretary, I, there has there been a worse press secretary? I mean, I know a lot of you listening have been around a little bit longer than me. So if you can think of a worse press secretary than Crane John Pierre. Please do let me know, because I just cannot imagine. Um, And this is what happens when you elevate someone into a job because of some weird characteristic like the color of their skin. Uh, And they've celebrated her as being, you know, the first black and openly gay press secretary. But it's like, I'll I'll celebrate her if she can do her job. (laughs) She clearly cannot. Um, Yeah, she just really struggles to talk about basically any subject, even subjects that she knows that she's going to be asked about. And then she gets really testy with reporters when they ask her legitimate questions. And then she just says dumb stuff like this. So she was responding, obviously, to this decision to 
um, recommend charges against Donald Trump. And she called, well, let me just play the tape here. Uh, we've been very clear from the beginning that what we saw on January 6th was the worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War. And uh, the president has been very clear. Our democracy continues and remains under threat. The worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War. Now, don't get me wrong. As I said earlier in the show, I think that January 6th was a national embarrassment. I think it was a very serious ordeal. Um, and I, I do believe that Donald Trump made that situation much worse um, through his words and through his actions. However, the worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War, I don't know. I, I guess I could think of a couple things between then and now. A Pearl Harbor, maybe. Oh, gosh, what was that? Uh, what was that thing that Kareem Jean-Pierre might be forgetting? I don't know. 9-11? Kareem Jean-Pierre? You really think that the January 6th riot was a worse attack on our democracy than when terrorists flew planes into buildings in New York City? And that's why it's not even, I, I think for Korean Jean-Pierre, I don't even know if it's a job performance issue where, oh, maybe, you know, she's just not equipped to be standing out in front of reporters and she doesn't know enough information. Yeah, it's even worse than that. I mean, does she really believe that January 6th was a worse attack on our democracy than Pearl Harbor and 9-11? Because if she actually believes that, then, then that is even more problematic than her being up there just sort of flailing in the wind, not knowing what she's talking about. And that has been your big lead this hour. The Big Lead on Cairo Radio. Coming up on the big show, some really sad um, statistics when it comes to veterans and how that is a population of people that is really struggling um, with homelessness. And we talk about homelessness, I think, broadly all the time, but veterans have a huge issue with uh, being unstably housed, with ending up on the streets, dealing with drugs and mental illness. Uh, So we're going to talk about that coming up. Also, a Republican senator has a bill that he hopes will protect teens from porn. We'll dive into it coming up on The Big Show. Brandy Cruz from here. Today's flown by. I hope you're all staying warm out there, being safe on the roadways, of course. Always safe on the roadways. Uh, Earlier in the show, I was talking about, I I shared without asking uh, a story that a friend had told me about. Um, Basically, so it was my friend's boyfriend told the story to me, but she had basically been trying to park a car, had been running errands. Um, ended up stealing a parking spot from some guy inadvertently and just left her car there. And it turns out that the guy picked up some dog poop and put it in her windshield as like punishment for her stealing his parking spot. And so then she goes around running errands is just like 
Everywhere she went, she's like, I just smell poop <laughs> absolutely everywhere. Thankfully, the dog poop hardened, so it didn't create some big mess when she like used her windshield wipers and it was easy to remove. But I asked you guys, is, is he the jerk? Like, was she a jerk for stealing the spot? Did he move too far or did he go too far in, in, in the dog poop thing? I got one email from the 425. Your dog poop story reminds me of Kathy Bate classic parking lot scene in Fried Green Tomatoes. Funny. Uh, let's see, 360. Okay, Brandy, yes, it is a little on the extreme for the dog poop on the windshield, but really no harm was done. We don't know the details. Was he going to be late for an appointment? Did he wait patiently for that spot? Obviously, she knew he was angry because of how she reported it, but uh, just blew it off thinking that if you snooze, you lose. Well, that will make her think twice or smell twice before doing it again. Merry Christmas. Uh, Wes in Puyallup makes a good point. He says, how do you know it was dog poop? <laughs> I guess in the Seattle area, you can never be quite sure, right? Whenever I see poop on the sidewalk in Seattle, I automatically assume it's human. Automatically assume it's human. Uh, Let's see. 425 says, (laughs) you guys are saucy today for the Christmas holiday. 425 says, I would have smeared it all over her windshield and put it on. (laughs) And put it on her door handles for stealing a parking spot. Uh, that someone else has been waiting for. Uh, nope, she's in the wrong. Really? I am very surprised by you guys today. I just think poop is just a step too far. Um, 425 says, my question is, where did the guy get the poop from? Did he bring it from home? <laughs> the dog park? And that's kind of what I was wondering too. Like, And I don't know if he had, I should ask her, if he had a dog with him. It's like, did you like wait <laughs> for your dog to go to the bathroom? So you could exact your revenge? Or did you like see some on on the sidewalk somewhere and gather it up? Or do you just carry this stuff around because you're frequently angry and triggered and you just use it? You know, one time in Seattle, I um, was up on Capitol Hill visiting a friend and parking up there is terrible in the residential areas. And I parked on a residential street and I thought I parked just fine. I'm a pretty good parallel parker. But when I came back and I got in my car, there was someone took a red lipstick and just carved it into my window, like used basically this red lipstick down to the studs, which I'm sorry, lipstick's expensive. Why would you do that? And just a big F you. And I'm like, what? (laughs) So at first I thought, well, maybe it's because they saw me specifically get out of my car in Capitol Hill and they hate me specifically. Um, but then they also put a little sign under my windshield that said, learn to park or something like that. And I think the issue they took is that I didn't pull up enough. And had I pulled up, uh, pulled up more, somebody else would have been able to park on the street behind me. So I thought, well, maybe that's it. And I felt bad. Like I didn't intend to, to park terribly, but this person was so mad. I've wasted this huge red lipstick thing writing and lipstick is really hard, by the way to get off of a vehicle. So uh, don't recommend it. Okay, we're going to talk about porn. <laughs> um, Senator Mike Lee, a Republican, uh, obviously, he has put forth several pieces of legislation that he hopes will help with our uh, kids' rotting brains when it comes to uh, pornography and what they're uh, consuming. And look, I don't think kids should be watching porn. I mean, gosh, there's all sorts of weird stuff out there online. 
But uh, Senator Mike Lee, he's introduced the an online age verification bill. He's a Republican from Utah. So it would require all pornographic websites to use some sort of age verification tool to prevent someone who's under the age of 18 from accessing a porn site. And, you know, here's what, here's what gets me. So he says, and this is, uh, the, this, the act is called the Screen Act, which is short for Shielding Children's Retinas from Egregious Exposure on the Net. So the bill says that um, it would direct the FCC to have a requirement that all commercial pornographic websites adopt age verification technology to ensure that users are not kids. And it would allow these uh, pornographic sites to choose their own method method of age verification that would be within the standards of the FCC. And I guess maybe I don't know enough about what technology is available, but, you know, I've We've all visited a website where maybe it's like a, I'm trying to think, um, back when Legal Weed came up and there were all these websites. If you remember, you'd have, if you went to it, you'd have to um, say that you were of age. You'd have to make an acknowledgement that you were of age. And there's other websites that do that as well. And that's fine. But if that's what he's thinking about, you can just click, yes, I'm 18 or whatever it is. <laughs> so let me into Pornhub.com. Uh, So that doesn't really seem like it makes a lot of sense. Now, there are stricter age verification um, services that are offered where they actually check your age based on you providing them um, some sort of identification that can be uh, scanned virtually, et cetera. But nobody wants to go to a porn website and have to show an identification. So I just don't see how, how that works either. But besides all that, and again, I don't blame Mike Lee for trying to, in his words... (laughs) Shield children's retinas from egregious exposure on the net. But I also don't like performative politics and things that don't really work. And there, there's porn out there everywhere. Kids can find it on Google. They can find it on Twitter. They can find, um, you know, pretty grotesque content on their other TikTok, on um, Instagram, etc. And so to me, this really just comes down to good parenting. As does as do most things, and I'm kind of surprised that the senator doesn't realize that. You know, you got to monitor what your kids are doing online. If you don't want your kids on some porn site, if you don't want them looking at raunchy stuff on whatever social media platform they might be using at the moment, that's about parents being good parents and monitoring what their kids are doing. I don't think you need the shielding children's retinas from egregious exposure on the net act to be able to accomplish that. Um, so, you know, you can push forward with it. I don't think it's going to go anywhere, but I also think that it distracts from the real issue in America with a lot of things. And that is just that parents need to have more control over their kids and more oversight over what their kids are doing. Okay. We teased, uh, at the end of the big lead at two that I was going to talk about homelessness and what's happening with vets on our streets. And I want to talk about that, but I just don't feel like I have the time right now to do it justice. And so let's move it over to tomorrow. We'll have a more uh, robust conversation about some of the latest numbers of, uh, around homelessness in King County and where veterans stand in all of that. Okay, coming up after the break, we'll dive into our awesome audio clips of the day, including Dr. Anthony Fauci's response to being told that some people idolize him. That and more on awesome audio clips of the day. Brandy Cruz filling in for Dory Monson.
the stretch we come. What a day, what a show, what a show, what a day. Always love being here with all of you. I feel like you're all my friends, you know, because I was in the Cairo Radio family. I'm on with Dory once a week. And so when I come in and fill in for Dory, it just doesn't feel like I'm amongst strangers. It feels like I'm amongst friends. And I love getting your texts on the text line, etc. Oh, we've got some really good clips, though. So I want to get straight to our awesome audio clips of the day. This is Dory Monson's awesome audio clips of the day. Tiger Woods' son was just adorable. They're just like the cutest little father-son duo. Uh, Had this really cute answer when he was asked about sort of what he learned that day about his his dad's golf game. And apparently he he seems to be very surprised at how well his dad, Tiger Woods, (laughs) played. Um... I feel like I already knew what he was capable of. And then yesterday, that's the best he's ever played in a while. And that kind of shocked me a little bit. But... I used to be good. All right, next on Awesome Audio Clips of the Day, Dr. Anthony Fauci, of course, was you know in the process of taking a step back, I thought, from public life. Uh, responds to the uh, assertion that there's a lot of people out there who idolize him. It's nice that some people, you know, idolize me and put me up on a pedestal, but I don't get impressed by that. I never have. (laughs) All right, moving right along in the big lead, Kareem Jean-Pierre. We talked, uh, we had a clip on the show yesterday about um, a White House surrogate, uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms, who (laughs) essentially said... That Joe Biden wasn't going to go to the border because he didn't want to create a traffic jam or something like that. Like, it's just one excuse after the other after the other. And it just has gotten to the point of ridiculousness. Well, Kareem Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, uh, was asked about a Texas mayor declaring a state of emergency because things are really bad down there right now with uh, illegal immigration. And here's what she said. Paso's Democratic mayor has declared a, a state of emergency, and he said that he would only do that when he felt he could no longer keep his community or the asylum seekers safe. He's saying that that time is now ahead of Title 42 expiring. Um, what is the White House response to that? So, look, we have, uh, from day one, President Biden has taken steps to reduce disorderly migration while expanding legal pathways uh, for orderly migration. When asked uh, again about the situation at the border, why Biden hasn't gone, um, somehow Corrine Jean-Pierre managed to actually blame uh, the lack of progress on the border uh, on Republicans. And if Republicans were really serious about doing something on the border, they can do something right now. So does the president have any plans to go to the border? Is now a good time to go? Like you said, I've addressed this before. Look, the president's focus right now is to come up with solutions. It's focused on making sure that we have the resources to manage what the challenges that we're seeing uh, at the border. And right now, we, as you know, we have a budget request in front of Congress. And again, if congressional Republicans are serious about dealing with the challenges that we're seeing at the border, uh, they will assist. All right, finally, in our awesome audio clips of the day, um, Gardner Minshew spoke at uh, Coach Mike Leach's funeral today. I want to play that in a moment, but, you know, I've heard so many wonderful stories about Mike Leach uh, since he passed away at the age of 61 from a heart attack last week. You know, my friend Jessamyn McIntyre, who has been a longtime um, sideline reporter at Washington State and, you know, started there in the Leach era, 
she uh, was on my podcast on Divided the other day, just sharing some of the stories about what kind of guy he was really when no one was watching. Um, you know, this is a guy who obviously he liked to perform for cameras. He said wild stuff during interviews, but she said he's also the guy who would be late to a meeting or late to a press conference because he was got caught up talking to the guy, delivering coffee, trying to ask him questions about where the coffee came from. And she said, that's just the kind of guy he was. He saw everyone as a human. Everyone was interesting to him. Everyone's story was interesting to him. And he'd sit there and he'd listen to people's personal stories, no matter who that person was, um, as long as they were willing to tell them. And so I've really, really enjoyed, um, I never got a chance to meet, meet Mike Leach, but I've really enjoyed learning a little bit about him and who he was through some of the people whose lives he did touch directly. And one of them being Gardner Minshew, who... Uh, just like Mike Leach, you know, Gardner Minshew is, was an ori- is an original, uh, and he says he got some of that from the, the late coach. Uh, probably my favorite thing about coach, you know, is that extreme courage of just being yourself, you know, and I think that's one thing that he really rubbed off on me and, man, my life and football outside of it. That's one of the greatest gifts and the greatest uh, lessons I've learned. Um, man. It was only six months that I could have a Coach Leach, but he really changed my life, man. Changed how I saw myself. Changed what I thought was possible for myself. Um, and, man, I, I really just couldn't be more grateful. And, um, yeah, thank you, Coach. Being yourself, your authentic self, is good advice for anyone. Um, and certainly Gardner Minshew is someone who's done that. And Mike Leach, Coach Mike Leach, was someone who did that in his 61 years of life. All right, I'm going to get out of here. Uh, We'll see you back here on the Dory Monson Show tomorrow as I'm filling in for him through the end of the year. And it has been such a pleasure to be here with you today. And I will see all of you tomorrow. The John Curley and Sherry Ellicott Show coming up next. At the end of the day, we've always found ways to come together. We can find that unity again. Then the message said, end of message. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. You're really a fantastic audience.